What happened to Suzanne Morphew? Here's what we do know. In the days leading up to her disappearance, Suzanne Morphew sent messages to her friends about her husband Barry saying, I feel no peace when he's here, and I would not feel safe alone with him. From these cell phone records, it's been revealed that Suzanne sent a text message to her husband Barry saying she was done with their marriage. Then, days later, she vanishes. In the years since, investigators compiled and followed several bizarre clues. A chipmunk alibi, a tranquilizer gun, and a James Bond-style spy pen. And the mother of two's disappearance became the biggest story in Colorado. And finally, in the past few weeks, Suzanne's remains have been discovered in a shallow grave in Moffat, Colorado. While officials were investigating a completely different disappearance of another woman named Edna Quintana. The shallow grave is only 45 minutes from the Morphew's home. Per reports, five people have disappeared or been found dead in the same area where Suzanne's remains were recovered. Which only brings up more questions. Now could this mean there's a serial killer on the loose in Colorado? Police don't believe so. In the past week, investigators said the disappearance of Edna and the disappearance of Suzanne are not related. So the question remains, what happened to Suzanne Morphew that Mother's Day weekend in 2020? This is Avery After Dark, and I'm your host, Avery Ross. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to be a part of your week. For all of you who keep up with the latest true crime news, the recent discovery of Suzanne Morphew's remains is a monumental breakthrough in her case. And it's left us all wondering, will Suzanne finally receive justice? And what really happened that Mother's Day weekend? To understand all of this, we have to go back to the beginning. Suzanne and Barry Morphew's love story started when they grew up in the Midwestern, all-American small town of Alexandra, Indiana, a community surrounded by farmland that sits an hour northeast of Indianapolis. Suzanne competed for homecoming queen, and Barry was a star baseball player who was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays. But a later injury ended Barry's dreams of becoming a major league player. The two both attended Purdue University and married in 1994. Barry started a landscaping business. Suzanne was a school teacher before becoming a full-time mother to the couple's two daughters. In 2018, the family moved to Maysville, Colorado, which is about 11 miles west of Salida. The Morphew settled into an impressive $1.5 million home in hopes for a fresh start. They said they wanted to move to be closest to their eldest daughter. But there were also rumors about their marriage, rumblings that there were big issues between the two. So a new beautiful home in the mountains, new scenery, a fresh chapter. This would seem like an ideal setup for the couple. So initially it was thought that this move would strengthen the relationship, but apparently not. Things seemed to hit the skids for Barry and Suzanne, and this move seemed to have the opposite effect. Melinda Mormon, Suzanne's sister, recalled it was a really tough time and said, quote, Barry was very dominant in the relationship, and Suzanne was a very passive, gentle soul. He had a great tendency to overpower, intimidate people to get what he wanted, end quote. In September 2018, Suzanne's best friend named Sheila Oliver visited Suzanne at their home in Colorado. Now, Sheila is important to this case because they were really close and thus Suzanne divulged a lot of personal information to her, specifically details of her failing marriage with Barry. And all of this is evident through text messages and cell phone records. 
And not long after moving to Colorado, Suzanne began an affair with a married man from Michigan. Jeff Libler, he and Suzanne knew each other from high school and reconnected. It started with text messages, and over time, Suzanne and Jeff began to up the ante, traveling to meet up with each other. Suzanne taking a trip to New Orleans while Jeff was there for a conference. Then, a few months later, another rendezvous in Florida. And this affair continued on, all the while Suzanne continuing to let her friends know how strained her marriage was. On May 6, 2020, Suzanne reportedly let Barry know that their marriage was over, once and for all. Messages from Suzanne obtained from Barry's phone read, quote, I'm done. I could care what you've been up to for years. We just need to figure this out civilly, end quote. Because Suzanne was having an affair, but also suspected Barry of being unfaithful to her as well. Barry texted Suzanne back and said, quote, I promise you are wrong about all the crazy thoughts about me. Only a fool would stray from an angel like you. When I'm dead, which won't be long, you guys will be taken care of, end quote. On Friday, May 8th, Suzanne saved a list on her cell phone's notes application, a list of grievances she had with Barry, reasons to leave the marriage. And included was a note that said Barry had accused her of having a boyfriend, which she did. On Saturday, May 9th, 2020, 49-year-old Suzanne and her boyfriend Jeff had a busy day of texting each other. The two exchanged 59 text messages by midday. That's a lot of messages which was much more than usual, and these texts were intimate. In one of the messages, Suzanne texted Jeff saying, we need to be husband and wife. At around 2.07 p.m., Suzanne sent a selfie to her boyfriend smiling. Nine minutes later, she sent another message to Jeff. Then at 2.26 p.m., Suzanne gets a text from Barry that he's heading back to the house. No one knows if Suzanne saw that text or was too busy talking to Jeff, but she does not answer. Barry follows up, appearing to wonder where Suzanne is, in messages, Did you leave? There was still no response from Suzanne, and investigators speculate the next few moments are when Barry returned home. But after 2.30 p.m., Suzanne's phone went completely inactive. What happened when Barry got home that day remains a mystery. On Sunday, May 10th, Mother's Day... At 5.15 p.m., a neighbor of Suzanne's named Jane Ritter called Barry to let him know that Suzanne was missing. Barry asked her to check if her bike was there, and it wasn't. Suzanne and Barry's daughter said they had been trying to contact Suzanne all day to wish her a happy Mother's Day, but said she wasn't answering. So Barry asked his neighbor to call 911. He is hours away and leaves to drop some tools off for his co-workers, telling them that there's a family emergency and he needs to leave. Around 5.30 p.m., the DA and police were notified that Suzanne Morphew was missing, and investigators arrive at the Morphew home. Barry didn't get back to the house until about 8.46 p.m., and he asked deputies if they saw any big cats on the road, referring to mountain lions. Police begin speaking with Barry, wanting more information. He tells them that he last saw his wife that morning at 5 a.m. as he was leaving to go on a landscaping job. He said Suzanne was still asleep when he left, and they didn't talk but referred to his wife as his angel. Now, Barry and Suzanne were the only two at the house that weekend as their daughters were in Utah on a trip, and he didn't spend that Mother's Day with his wife. Barry had a big drive that day, 
He made the trek three hours north to Broomfield, Colorado, all for work for this landscaping business, or so he said. But investigators also questioned this, as this work he was doing in Broomfield was all to repair a retaining wall, which he only worked on for about 20 minutes, but didn't follow through because work was prohibited on Sundays. When asked, Barry said he tried texting Suzanne Happy Mother's Day, but got no response from her, but said this wasn't strange to him as the service around their home was shoddy. He said he continued to message her throughout the day with no answer. So in the meantime, with Suzanne missing, police began a search for Suzanne and don't have to look too far, as they find her bike undamaged just off Route 50. This was not very far from the Morphews' home, but there was no sign of Suzanne anywhere. Authorities began to doubt that Suzanne ever even took a bike ride, though, especially after her sunglasses and hydration backpack were found in her car, things that she would normally ride with. Investigators also found her driver's license and credit cards in her Range Rover, but her cell phone was missing. Police dig a bit deeper into Barry Morphew and the couple's marriage. Police were thrown off because there were a lot of inconsistencies in Barry's story as to what he was doing in the hours leading up to his wife's disappearance. And when asked, Barry told police that the couple had no issues, really. They were doing really well. But all the evidence was indicating otherwise. Investigators found that on May 9th, just after Suzanne's phone went inactive after sending her boyfriend messages after 2.30 p.m., at 2.47 p.m., Barry puts his phone into airplane mode, which prevents the device from receiving calls and texts. And this wasn't just for a few minutes. Barry's phone stays in airplane mode for hours and hours until about 4 or 5 a.m. on May 10th. That is a long time for a phone to be in airplane mode. Barry wasn't boarding any long flights that day, so... in a big part of Barry's story about that weekend was his work. He told investigators he was working, he had jobs to do, he had this landscaping business. But for anyone who's had to work a weekend, you know you have to keep your phone on. That's how people and businesses work nowadays. So to turn your phone on airplane mode for hours where no one can contact you is striking. And it gets even stranger. On May 9th, 2020, that afternoon, data from Barry's phone indicated that he was running around the exterior of his house. His cell phone would ping on one end of the house and then on the other. Very erratic. It seemed like he was out there running after something. When investigators asked, he told police he was out there chasing and shooting chipmunks. Now, I do believe that this was the world's very first chipmunk alibi. Okay. Another big piece of evidence in this case is a photograph. Police took photos of Barry's arms three days after Suzanne's disappearance because they noticed something. Scratch marks. And these abrasions are really clear to see. And again, when police asked Barry about his relationship with his wife, he implied they had a great relationship and that the days leading up to her disappearance, things were just fine. Now, Barry told police that he went to bed around 8 p.m. on May 9th. But there's a big, big problem with this. As police continued their investigation, they were able to obtain data from Barry's car. In all of these kinds of cases, you always think to yourself, if Walls could talk, we would know the real story. We would know what happened and how it happened. If Walls could talk. Well, what about cars? And in Suzanne's case, 
Barry's truck did talk through the new field of vehicle forensics. This includes GPS systems, onboard vehicle diagnostics, everything your car does, essentially. The car's internal behavior, its speed, location. This data will tell you how long a car was put in park for, how long it was in reverse for, where it reversed to. We saw the vehicle forensics used a lot in the Alec Murdoch case, because you may say one thing, but your car and your cell phone will say something completely different. In the future, we'll see a lot of people get convicted with the help of vehicle forensics and also exonerated. And police find that although Barry said it was a quiet night and he was in bed at 8 p.m., according to data from Barry's truck, it was backed up towards the house at around 9.30 p.m. The doors to Barry's truck opened and closed over and over around 9.30 p.m. So someone was moving a lot. Barry told police that his alarm woke him up on May 10th at 4.30 a.m., but his phone record showed no alarm was set, and both his phone and his truck were moving around 3 a.m. Later on, Barry switched up the timeline of that morning, specifically why he was traveling down Highway 50 on May 10th at 5 a.m. He had never mentioned he drove in that direction, so when police asked him why, he claimed he was following an elk down the highway at 4.30 a.m. But this is another important part of this case because Suzanne's helmet was later found near where Barry had been driving that morning. Now, just taking a quick step back here, this is all pretty insane to wrap your head around. The same day your wife goes missing, Barry is running around the house chasing after chipmunks and then chasing elk down highways at 5 a.m., Investigators saw that whenever Barry was questioned by police with contradicting stories, some sort of suspicious activity, he responded by saying that he was actually just chasing a wild animal around. But what about Barry's trip that Mother's Day? What happened there? A lot. Police find through surveillance footage and truck data that May 10th, Barry stopped at various different locations throwing away bags of trash. This included a stop at a McDonald's to throw out something there, then to a men's warehouse where he threw out more trash. And when asked, Barry said that this was just a part of his job, throwing away trash. Now that day, Barry checked into a hotel and was seen there that day entering and leaving his room at various points of the day. And one hotel employee said that after he checked out that day, that the room smelled a lot like bleach. Inside the Morphew's house was an even more mysterious scene. Police found a plastic needle cover for a tranquilizer dart was in the dryer, and also a broken door that was not there when the family purchased the home. Investigators say that Barry told them that he wasn't sure how the cap got there, but admitted he was an experienced tranquilizer dart gun shooter. But the cap, however, did not contain any of Barry's DNA. Police built a case against Barry Morphew. For investigators, his behavior was incredibly suspicious, and given the state of the couple's relationship, he was the most obvious suspect for them. And with Suzanne's infidelity, police felt that Barry had a strong motive. In November 2020, police learned about recordings on a spy pen that Suzanne had purchased and was using to try and catch Barry in an affair. A spy pen? Now, for investigators, this added a completely new, even crazier angle to this already really bizarre case. This spy pen was straight out of a James Bond movie. It was able to capture and record conversations. And police found that this pen captured several intimate conversations between Suzanne 
and Jeff, their secret affair. That November, police speak with Jeff, and he told them that no one knew about their affair, including Suzanne's closest friends and family. And Jeff was cleared. He told detectives he was in Michigan that weekend and his alibi checked out. And when investigators tell Barry about the affair, he denied knowing anything about it. On May 4th, 2021, almost a year after Suzanne disappeared, Barry Morphew was arrested and was charged with first-degree murder along with several other offenses. Investigators believe that Barry knew his daughters would be away that weekend and said that he took advantage of that opportunity to murder Suzanne and have enough time to clean up the crime scene. Investigators believe that Barry killed Suzanne on May 9th, 2020, not long after her phone went inactive. Detectives believe that when Barry arrived home that day, there was a confrontation between the couple, and police theorize that Barry shot Suzanne with a tranquilizer dart. Experts say it can take between 4 and 20 minutes for an animal the size of a deer to drop after being shot with a trank dart. Agents theorize that Barry's phone was pinging from all those various locations around the house, not because he was chasing and shooting chipmunks, but rather they believe this was because he was chasing Suzanne after he shot her with the trank dart. So a big question is, what happened to the state's case against Barry? It was reported that the state missed certain deadlines and withheld exculpatory evidence. And with this, the judge punished the state, excluding several of their key expert witnesses, testimony that would have helped their case during a trial. This really hurt the state's ability to move forward with the case. And also, Suzanne was still missing. There was no body. They couldn't prove that she had been murdered. But things also took a turn when investigators found unknown male DNA in several places, including Suzanne's bicycle, her helmet, in her Range Rover, the carpet by her bed, and on the stairs in the home. And through a partial match, this DNA has been tied to unsolved cases involving assaults in other states. On May 19, 2022, all the charges against Barry Morphew were dismissed without prejudice, which essentially means they can recharge him again. Barry, in turn, filed a civil rights lawsuit against various enforcement officials. He was asking for $15 million in damages. So things ended up in a tough spot there. Investigators believed that he was guilty, but just couldn't seem to find enough inculpatory evidence. They had a lot of circumstantial evidence, but they needed a smoking gun, direct evidence. And also, the presence of that unknown DNA brought in even more questions. Some investigators theorized that that DNA could belong to an accomplice that Barry had recruited, or this DNA was from someone completely separate, someone that could have possibly abducted Suzanne. But the thought of Suzanne being kidnapped without any evidence of a struggle in the peaceful, picturesque town of Salida was unlikely to many. And finally, does this DNA have anything to do with Suzanne's murder whatsoever? Over time, Suzanne's disappearance was considered a cold case, and its future hinged upon finding her. And then everything changed. When on September 22, 2023, Suzanne Morphew's remains were found in a shallow grave in a desert area near Moffat, Colorado, three years and four months after she went missing. This discovery was made when investigators were searching for another missing woman named Edna Quintana. This grave site is 46 miles away from the Morphew's home, about a 45-minute drive. 
Suzanne's remains were found in a bordering county where no one thought to look, and brings up even more questions about how she died. After this discovery, Barry's attorneys made a statement. They argued that Suzanne was found in an area that police had never mentioned. They stated that investigators never claimed Barry was anywhere south of his home in that time frame. The statement went on to attempt to connect Suzanne's murder to various missing persons cases, implying that a serial killer may be on the loose and that Barry is really innocent. And these attorneys seem to believe that this discovery actually helps Barry's case. And per reports, five people have disappeared or have been found dead in that same area where Suzanne's remains were recovered. So according to Barry's attorneys, this could mean that there's a killer out there, someone police haven't considered. But on September 29th, investigators ruled that the disappearance of Edna Quintana and the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew are not related. And Edna's disappearance remains open and is an active investigation. So will the state refile charges against Barry Morphew? The discovery of Suzanne's remains changes everything. It proves that Suzanne was murdered. It's a tightrope that the state's walking here. If they charge Barry and he's acquitted, they won't get another chance because of double jeopardy. And many fear that Suzanne will not receive justice. A forensic pathologist named Dr. Michael Baden believes the remains are likely well-preserved, enough to determine Suzanne's cause of death. According to Baden, hot desert conditions where her remains were found likely preserved a lot of the potential evidence related to her murder. Many believe that Barry is guilty of murdering his wife, and he has to know that at any given moment, he could be arrested. When charges against Barry were dismissed, investigators said they needed more time to find Suzanne's body, and now they have. Authorities are asking anyone with any information on Suzanne's case to call 719-312-7530. But ultimately, I hope for Suzanne and her family's sake, she receives justice. And I'll be looking out for any new updates in this case. But I gotta know, what are your thoughts on all this? Do you believe this discovery helps or hurts Barry's case? What part of the story or piece of evidence really sticks out to you? And look out for next episode. I have so much more mystery, supernatural, and true crime coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.